Welcome to another edition of First Word from First Church. This is Pastor Dave Buchanan at the First Church in Sutton. Please enjoy the message and may God bless you richly through it. Our first scripture lesson today is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Our gospel message today is from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to, to, to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and beside all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he spoke to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us to the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road 
and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Here ends our message for the day. Praise be to God. A little geography lesson anyway. These two disciples, now they were, of course, outside the 12. They had gathered dozens, kind of a, a herd that followed Jesus around in his ministry. And when we get the name of one as Cleopas, we know they're not part of the, the inner 12, which at this point, sadly, was reduced to 11 for a time anyway, before Matthias was elected to replace Judas. Now, Jesus said, tell my disciples to go on ahead to Galilee and I'll meet them there. It was a small hiccup going from Jerusalem to Galilee in that day. One had to go through Samaria. Problem with Samaria is it's full of Samaritans. Well, that shouldn't be a problem. They are cousins to the Jews. The problem is, like, like many broken families, the Samaritans worshiped on the wrong mountain, only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, and they weren't us, you know. They were, they, were, they were other. So many Jews, to avoid even having to stop in Samaria, much less have to interact with Samaritans to get food or water, as we know Jesus did, would take a, kind of a circuitous route. They'd take a detour so they could go from Jerusalem to Galilee without having to go through Samaria. Jericho is not on that route. So they're going westward into the setting sun because they either didn't get the word about going to Galilee, although if they got the rest of the message from Easter morning, they should have known where they should be going. But in their disappointment, dare I say despair, they're going the wrong way. They're headed probably home for them or, or maybe just stay away from both Jerusalem and Galilee. Maybe it's too hot to go to either one. So that's the geography of it, that they're heading for Emmaus, and they got a seven-mile walk. That, that bears a little later. So they had a while to talk. I mean, if you're walking seven miles, even if you've got pretty good legs, it's going to take a couple hours, maybe a little longer if, you, if you're strolling and talking. And Jesus came alongside them as you might offer to do with us as we go along our road to Emmaus or wherever is normal in our lives. He comes alongside, and you heard me say to the kids, maybe it was a setting sun. There are other settings in Scripture when we're told that people were given scales over their eyes so as to see dimly and not recognize something until it was time. A little, little more supernatural, but that's okay. It's Jesus. If he wanted to block their eyes from seeing him for a bit, maybe it was the setting sun. We know that Mary at the tomb, Mary Magdalene, couldn't recognize him, and maybe it was a rising sun. Maybe it was tears. Maybe it was that, that setting when someone looks at a, a teacher in a grocery store and said, I thought you lived at the school. Because they don't expect to see someone completely out of setting. They have to look twice and figure out who it is anyway. But at any rate, he's toying with them a little because he's Jesus. He knows what they're talking about. So what's he talking about? They look depressed. They look sad. Are you the only one in the neighborhood 
that hasn't heard what's been going on. And then they proceed to tell him, a mighty prophet from Nazareth, this guy Jesus. They delivered him up to death and crucified him. We thought he was the one to redeem Israel. We thought he was going to restore Israel to its rightful place in the world. We, we thought, as many did probably, well, he was going to get us out from under Roman rule. We had a king from the line of David again, and we thought this was the prophet to do it. And now it's three days later, and we're hearing strange stories. Stories we didn't see, so we don't know if we can believe them. That the women went to the tomb, said they, they even got a direct message from an angel that he was risen, and, and some of those with us, because we know that was John and Simon Peter, ran to the tomb and looked in and found it to be as the women said. But him they did not see. Jesus had hidden from their sight for a time. One, one gospel or two gospels have it that the women saw him, or one of the women saw him, but they're not buying it yet. This is emotional stories coming out. And Jesus said, as he said to many of his disciples at different times, oh, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He said, this had to happen. Don't you get it? And on the walk, now he must have met them fairly early in the walk to cover all the things the scriptures from, from Genesis onward, from Moses onward had to say, because in the Old Testament, there are about 151 prophecies fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know if he covered the high points or all 151. I mean, that's a long walk, but it's a long talk too. Go through the whole thing. They still aren't getting it. I told you that Baxter saw Mary silhouette in the light and barked at her, but when she spoke, Baxter understood Mary's voice. Dixie will be barking at me when I go back toward my office until I speak, and then she'll stop and look sheepish. She'll hear my voice. They didn't even get it from Jesus' voice. Maybe he, maybe he blocked their ears a little too to hear the word, but not the, not the tone of voice, not to, to recognize their, their rabbi, their teacher. Jesus offers to keep teaching us too, doesn't he? To come alongside. They'd left Jerusalem. They weren't in Galilee yet where he said he was going to meet them. He came to them and came up alongside them on the road to Emmaus where they were traveling, where they were going, and offered to explain to the slow of heart and understanding. I've been there. Again, the need for his life, his teaching, his healing, his suffering, his death, and then thank God for his resurrection. He's willing to keep explaining that to us, thank God, because like the other disciples, I'll confess for me anyway, some days I'm slow of heart and other days slower of mind. I need to be reminded I need to, to see that love, whether he's coming alongside me in his word or coming alongside with voice or coming alongside through the, the love and grace and mercy that he bestows through others sometimes. Like entertaining an angel unawares is one of the poems of heaven. 
So he keeps talking, he keeps talking. Jesus doesn't force himself. This is the awful quandary that that people like John Calvin have wrestled with and the, the Westminster Confession written for the English Reformed Church would drive you a little crazy. God is sovereign. God is king. God is ruler over all. God knows who will choose faith and respond to that call and who will not receive the gift of faith. But at the same time, somehow, and God hasn't explained this very clearly, we have choice. We are given the gospel. We are given the message. We're given good news. We're given a story of grace, mercy, and love beyond anything at least that I'm capable of giving without that well of grace, mercy, and love that is in Jesus Christ. I have to have that replenishment, that sustainment, that fulfillment, that nourishment in order to share those things fully with others. Jesus does not say, I'm coming in to sit at your table and I'm going to explain it again if I have to. He he acted as though to go on. He did not assume an invitation. In that part of the world, by the way, the sun's going down. You've been walking that far. It's almost an ethical or social obligation to invite this guy walking along with you in to eat, maybe even to bed for the night. Jesus says, I'll keep going. No, no, they had to implore him to stay. Please, we're not done listening. They go and sit at table, and some say the breaking of bread. Oh, they must have had communion. If this is Cleopas and some other unknown brother, they weren't there. They weren't at the Last Supper. But if they'd been disciples for a while, do you think they'd seen Jesus when 5,000 families were gathered? And he took five loaves and a couple of fish, gave the blessing and broke it. And much like we had a longing among a number of us during COVID, when we were singing very little, if at all, and for a while we didn't sing the Gloria Patri or the doxology, as humble as those songs are, they're part of our rhythm of worship. The Gloria reminds us of a triune God. We bless God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oddly enough, the doxology, we praise all three too, don't we? But one is declaring the glory and the other is praising God and thanking God. And we, They're part of our rhythm of worship. We, we missed them. They're very familiar. And I don't know if you ever visited another church where they sing the doxology in a slightly different rhythm. You ever do that? Yeah, I see nod. I felt out of step too. I've sung it in different churches and every time I come to another church, I've got to make sure I know the right rhythm when I sing it or it sounds awful funny on the bass part. Both of them really, but the doxology seems to really catch different meters or different rhythm, not meter, rhythm. But anyway, they heard something that was very, very familiar to any faithful Jew. But they heard it and saw it in the voice and the gestures of their rabbi, their master, their teacher. And what Jesus said started off with Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, ruler of eternity. And he would have finished it in Hebrew, and my Hebrew is not that good, who causes the bread to grow for us from the ground. And that's how the blessing for any part of the meal would start. The bread who causes the grapes to grow for our wine. 
every part of the meal, we start with, blessed art thou, Lord our God, ruler of eternity, who does this for us. Well, he gave that blessing over the bread. Maybe in your house when you were little, it was God is great, God is good. In our home, it was, Lord, we ask thy blessing for all thy fatherly gifts and similar. Different families have a different prayer. It might be the come, Lord Jesus, be our guest that the Germans use. I don't know what it was in your family. But here were the words from the rabbi, the Lord, the founder of the feast, saying, blessed, are thou, blessed art thou, Lord our God. In words, and then all of a sudden, the tones and the, the gesture, they recognized the hands that they'd watched serve, that they'd watched heal, that they'd had feed them before, and all of a sudden, the scales are dropped. They recognize Jesus. He doesn't force himself to our table. Sometimes we invite him. He invites us to his, but we invite him to ours. And we listen, and we watch, and we hear the words that burn in our hearts if we're paying attention. And we see the gesture and hear the blessing that comforts and nourishes us. And hopefully the scales fall from our, our eyes. As I had to have done Friday by the doctor, the wax gets dug out of our ears. We hear the word of the Lord. We accept. Wonderful. What do we do with it? They had just walked seven miles listening to 150-some prophecies about Jesus. They've had supper. It's getting dark. Not a safe place to walk around at night in that part of the world. So really what they should have done probably is talked about it till the wee hours and gone to bed, right? Shared what they heard with each other. What did they do? This is where that seven miles comes in. How many of you here take a seven mile after supper stroll? In a hurry. They probably went back 15, 20 minutes quicker than they went to go straight the disciples to pound on the locked door at night and the disciples saying, have you heard? We saw him. He's back. Simon saw him. Simon of all people. Remember, Simon's the guy who denied him three times and he hasn't yet apologized because he hasn't had a chance. And God comes to the one who denied him three times who always stuck his foot in his mouth who was sometimes just a pain in the neck to have around as a disciple and that's the one Jesus appeared to. Among the men, anyway, the women already seen him. Wow. He's appeared to Simon. And they said, Listen to what we saw. Listen to what we heard. When we get that invitation, or when we issue the invitation for him to come to our table, and we've been fed by the word, we've been fed by the story, we've been fed by the sight, we've been fed with the bread, literally. That is the word of life, the word of God, the very bread of life, Jesus says. What do we do with it? What do we do? I'm reminded of a very bad commercial from many years ago. A few of you will resonate with this. I'd walk a mile for a camel. Remember the cigarette commercial? That's not politically correct anymore to advertise tobacco, but back when, I'd walk a mile for a camel. Would you walk seven to share the gospel? After supper and at night, just after you'd walked seven, would you walk another seven? 
These disciples did. They walked to where they could share the word. How much easier to drive to a gathering of the faithful to share the word. How much easier at a family table when wider family is gathered and the opportunity presents itself. Didn't always easy. They had it easy. They were one of fellow believers. The church in the history, in this story, very shortly, the church will be called to speak it in many languages to many peoples and offer the gospel to many, issuing Jesus' invitation through the word of believers and the church. Would you walk seven miles to share the gospel? Would you have the courage then to stand on a balcony and speak it on the square in Jerusalem? That's the risen Lord. That's the invitation that we give him. That's the, the call to which we can respond. That's the, the whole prophecy for Moses and all the prophets. We have the whole story. They didn't yet. Jesus said, oh, slow to believe. Well, if we don't believe with the witness we have, we're even slower. He calls us to hear, to feel, to understand, and to accept. How can we do otherwise? Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. Thank you for having joined us for First Word from First Church. We pray that God has blessed you in some way, in his way, through the message that we have just shared with you. Please join us again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen and amen.